this is my first um, thing of the preach triathlon thing we've got going on here at church. What does that make you guys? Are we the swim? Is this like a sprint finish or something? I don't know. Anyway, I'm very delighted to be here. Um, and it is actually really exciting to be here. I just feel like God has got some weight for us. And what I'm loving is that whenever he asks me to speak on something, basically he's just challenging me. So even if you guys get nothing at all out of this, I'm having a time of revelation this morning. So <laughs> um, I have two boys um, and the eldest has reached that really important stage of development called bottomless pit. Anyone heard of that? He is always hungry. You cannot fill this boy. And um, he was doing what he normally does at the end of the meal the other day, kind of hoovering up everything that's left. And um, he popped a little bit of chocolate in his mouth that had fallen on the table, bit down, realized it was a black peppercorn. <laughs> Probably shouldn't have laughed as much as I did. <laughs> Great moment of discovery. Uh, but the reason that I mention that is because today, as we go through our passage, there's a little phrase that could be quite easy to skip over. But actually, this phrase, citizenship in heaven, is like a little peppercorn. And if we bite down on it, it packs a serious punch and just gives so much flavor to all that we're thinking. So that's our kind of meat for today. But as we kind of carry on through this study of Philippians, we're going to work through this section. Now, the Philippians is a letter that Paul is writing from prison back to this strong Jesus-filled community that he started in the city of Philippi. And it starts with Paul referring to something he's just been explaining, which Steve preached on about three weeks ago, so I'm just going to remind us. Um, he says, all of us then who are mature should take such a view of things, and if on some point you think differently, God will make that clear to you. So now he's just been explaining to the Philippians that you don't get anywhere with God by kind of totting up your earthly credentials or kind of working through religious status and qualifications with him. He's saying that he had more of that than everyone, and yet he now considers that complete rubbish, just filth, compared to the surpassing worth of knowing God, the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus and his righteousness. He says he's given it all up to receive righteousness through faith. So he's going to press on and run his race to become more like Jesus and take hold of his resurrection. And then he says, only let us live up to what we have already attained, this righteousness. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. So Paul wants the believers to live up to this righteousness and kind of step into all that they've been freely given through Jesus. So this is kind of now getting into the meat of what we're looking at today. He highlights this kind of equally destructive but kind of opposite problem, which is of thinking that because of that, you can do whatever you like and anything you do doesn't matter at all. But actually, no, he says, For as I've often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so they will be like his glorious body. Did you catch that pretty devastating assessment of culture? in the middle there. <laughs> and it kind of strikes me that you could pretty much 
trace over it like tracing paper and lift it and put it down on our culture. And that's pretty similar, right? So for us, as we unpack this culture, it's worth us thinking, well, how does this relate to us and what we're living in today? Paul says their God is their stomach. So what he's saying is these people in the city of Philippi were living for like immediate pleasure and personal satisfaction, that their desires and appetites had become the thing they were running after and looking, kind of becoming the most important thing in their lives. Sound familiar? And it's not only literal appetites, you know, yes, food and drink, but also what bigger houses, cars, better, or devices, or this kind of insatiable thirst for entertainment and status and sexual fulfillment, you know, all these things that people are running after in life. In our society, having far more than you need is actually kind of a standard of success. With 828 million people going to bed hungry every night, so many people's goal is how rich they can get and how much they can consume. We're being cultivated to be dissatisfied so that we'll spend more. It's amazing how things don't change. In the fourth century, Basil the Great said this, some device has been concocted by the devil, suggesting innumerable spending opportunities to the wealthy so that they pursue unnecessary and worthless things as if they were indispensable. I don't know about you, but that is provoking for me. And Paul goes on to say, their glory is in their shame. In other words, people were boasting about things that they should have been ashamed of. Think about how our culture encourages things which were previously considered fairly serious character flaws. So you've got vanity, pride, overindulgence, sexual promiscuity, greed, deceit. Even if they're still kind of seen as negative impulses, they are actually held up and rewarded in social media and TV and films. And these things are being so normalized. And it's not just our celebrities, is it? That's just kind of a magnification of culture, right? In fact, even our leaders are kind of swapping in humility and service for self-absorption and ambition. And Paul is saying, embracing this culture is not just out of step with God, it actually makes people enemies of the cross of Christ. So Paul's saying, don't get fooled into thinking these things are harmless. They blind people to God. In fact, they cause them to willingly run headlong into destruction. I don't think he's being judgmental or superior. You know, he says he writes this even in tears. He's just genuinely distressed for the lost and the broken, and also desperate that the believers wouldn't fall into that pit and fail to step into what's been attained for them by Jesus. I think I need the warning. I've grown up in this culture where our wants and needs get very confused. We're used to our appetites being encouraged and indulged, aren't we? We're kind of slowly pickling or marinating, I don't know, what's the food reference? Deep frying in this vat of culture. And it's quite hard being in it not to let the flavor kind of rub off and be absorbed by you. But all is not lost. Paul goes on. But our citizenship is in heaven. He's making a contrast, contrast here between this culture that the Philippians are growing up in and then this new culture and identity that they're receiving as citizens of heaven. 
Now, they would have been quite kind of familiar with this term citizenship that he uses. And that's the peppercorn that we're going to bite down on now and unpack. So the Philippians, well, they lived in this city that had been designated as a Roman colony. So that meant that all the citizens of Philippi were, de de were kind of granted these rights and privileges which would have been given to any Roman who was born in the Roman imperial city. So the Romans didn't kind of whisk them off back to Rome, and nor did the Romans come and then take on board the local culture. Instead, they set up this outpost in Philippi, and they bring the rights and privileges of Roman citizenship and place it there. And then the citizens live it out where they are. So Paul's using that example for us to say, we're now citizens of heaven, so we take those rights and privileges and the culture to this outpost of heaven where we are, and we're meant to live it out here in this world around us. A promise and a provocation. It's kind of a two-hander, isn't it? So it, for us, we're just going to unpack what is that that we've gained? What is it that is kind of being given to us that we're called to live out here in this outpost? Now, my husband, Mike, became a citizen of the UK in um, 2000. <laughs> I was meant to look that up before I came. Let's say 2005. Um, he swore his allegiance to the Queen and he got presented with a certificate and a new passport. And um, from that day, it completely changed his identity in this nation. The government website says as a UK citizen, his status is permanently settled. And when we swear allegiance to Jesus as king, in other words, believe in him and commit to follow him, your status becomes permanently settled as a citizen of heaven. Amen. Yeah. Romans 8 says you're adopted legally finalized into God's family and have become his children. So where this earthy culture says my merit rests on my performance and my, you know, things I can achieve and the job I do or how I look or where I live, actually that's nothing to do with how your earthy identity is worked out. Ephesians 2 reminds us, for by grace you've been saved through faith and it's not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not as a result of works so that no one may boast. Your permanent status as a citizen of heaven is beloved child of the king, and that rests entirely on what Jesus has done. So my ID card has kind of been scrubbed out and written over. So it doesn't say, Ali Green, UK, age 42 anymore. It says, daughter of the king, citizen of heaven, age eternal. The passport photo is still as bad, though. <laughs> Replace that as well. <laughs> That ID card comes with all the rights and privileges of citizenship. I had a brilliant time with God on the UK government website. And I'm pretty sure that's the first time that sentence has been said. It says one of the benefits of UK citizenship is unrestricted access to this nation. How amazing is that? That is exactly what the Bible says about our heavenly citizenship. We have been granted unrestricted access to heaven. Ephesians 2 says, we are fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household. God has raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. So this morning, you might not feel like you're good enough to come into the throne room, but that is exactly what you've been granted access to. Hebrews 4 says, let us approach the throne of God with confidence 
to receive grace and mercy. So as a child of God, you have this free pass into the throne room. But of course, it's not just into the throne room, is it? It's to the king himself. Unrestricted access. But now having a pass is not the same thing as spending time there, right? So my family has a National Trust card. Thank you, Granny Green. Which gives us free access to explore houses and parks and gardens and car parks all over the UK. And I can hear about them and I can think, oh, that's amazing. But unless I actually go there myself, that pass is meaningless, right? I get no benefit from it. And in the same way, unless we use this pass and spend time in the presence of God, unless we take advantage of that unrestricted access to the king, it's meaningless. How often do I get busy and distracted and either kind of bound up in all the rules or busy indulging myself and totally fail to do the first thing that is my calling, which is spend time in the presence of God? I don't think this is to condemn us. This is to encourage us, you know? Take advantage. You've been given free access. You know, I was walking along the other day, um, trudging along in the rain and feeling a bit sorry for myself and anxious and worried about things. And um, I put in my earphones and just started to worship. Thankfully, nobody else was around. So I was worshipping away in the rain. And I just felt like God's presence came and suddenly everything was transformed on the inside. I was like, oh, yes, I remember. It's like, Phew, everything's changed. That's what we have access to anytime. We're his children. We can just say, God, make me aware of you right now. And you don't even have to be skipping through the rain looking like a crazy person to do it. <laughs> it might feel like heaven is this kind of mythical future promise, but heaven's real. Jesus is there right now, ruling and reigning, and the heavenly creatures are singing worship to God, and you have a free pass. Oh, let's use it. Paul talks of a culture ruled by appetites. But as the people of God, we're to be defined by our hunger for his presence. That's where our appetite should be. As Moses said, what else will distinguish me and, all the and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth unless your presence goes with us? We're his people. We can step in. And surely, if that was the only thing that you got with that past, that would be enough, right? but it's not the end, there's more. These privileges have been granted to us. So every UK citizen is entitled to the same rights by law. And every heavenly citizen has been given the same access to the power and the authority and the resources of heaven. But again, we live in a place that makes it quite hard for us to really get our heads around that and believe it. We're in this broken world where kind of flawed people administer privileges and rights. It doesn't quite look like that. This lovely picture is of my husband, Mike, and our boys, and our amazing friend, Sadisa. And um, he's one of Mike's best friends and Dan's godfather. And he also came from South Africa and also became a UK citizen. And they both work hard and pay their taxes and have exactly the same rights and privileges by law in this country. Who thinks their experience of being a UK citizen 
has felt like they have the same rights and privileges and access in this country. Since coming to the UK, Siriso has been stopped and searched 15 times. How many times do you think Mike has been stopped and searched? Yeah, not at once. Siriso <laughs> has been followed around the aisles in Sainsbury's and Tesco's. Oh, unless he's got a friend of a different colour with him. In fact, when they went to a club one time, um, they were asked to leave. And Mike was like, what? And they said, oh, um, we've had complaints about your friend. So Mike tried to find out the nature of the complaints. Turned out he was making people uncomfortable, and it was just the colour of his skin. And they were chucked out of that club. It makes me furious. Furious. I know I'm not telling you anything new. <laughs> I get this isn't new information. But we have to keep speaking up. We have to keep acknowledging this is broken. There is injustice in this world and in our nation. And we live in it. And it affects how we see things. The injustice of this world means the colour of your skin, your class or your education, things out of your control often become the measure of your value in the eyes of the state and other people. Even in our churches, can we honestly say that every person who comes in through that door will feel exactly of the same status and value and will always be treated that way? There is deep injustice in the world and we have to actively work for change. If we're going to be this outpost of the heavenly culture, we can't reflect what is around us. And meanwhile, we can't allow those like normalities and experiences of injustice and inequality or of privilege to shape our understanding of this heavenly citizenship. I'll say that again. We cannot let our experience of those inequalities shape our understanding of our heavenly citizenship. There is no hierarchy of privilege in the citizenship of heaven. There's no unjust outworking of your heavenly rights and privileges. We're told there's no slave, nor free, no male or female, no Jew or Greek, meaning that your race and your birth status, your gender, all these things are irrelevant to your value as child of the king. Now, don't hear me wrong. They're not irrelevant to your identity. God made you, and he made you perfectly. He designed you beautifully. Look at your beautiful people. <laughs> He's very happy with his creation, but they're not a measure of your value. Every citizen has equal rights and access and value to the king. We have to get hold of it. There is absolutely no room for discrimination or comparison between members of God's household. With this outpost, we have to live out the king's culture. So if you're a citizen of heaven, there's no longer any room for you to think that you're inferior to any other citizen of heaven. You have a permanently settled status. Your identity and value is a done deal. But let's be clear, as a citizen of heaven, you don't get to think you're superior either. We've got to give our hearts to God and say, test and see if there is any way in me that you need to change. We've got to deal with it right now. Because above everything, the enemy loves to attack our identity, doesn't he? 
But Jesus says this is a settled status. The world cannot tell you what your worth is. You have to go on the price he paid for you and who God says you are. How do you know your prayers are powerful? Because you're a citizen of heaven with access to the king. How can you know that you have spiritual authority? Because your access is to the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. And this passage says allows him to bring everything under his control. How can you really expect to see miracles happen? Because Jesus said you can. In John 14, we read, Truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they'll do even greater things than these. Pretty sure I've said this before, but there's a promise and a provocation, isn't there? (laughs) How often do we long for God to do something and kind of forget he might choose to do it through us? What's available is meaningless if we don't take hold and step into it. Citizens of heaven who are walking in their identity pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Start with me. Change me. I get that there's mystery about what we see and we don't see yet. And Paul actually talks about that a lot in his letters. You know, it's the kingdom now and not yet. And we see this and we run after this. But the point is, we can't let a biased and cynical world speak louder in our thoughts than the voice and word of God, right? We've got to go to the right source. So all this understanding of our identity and our access should change our perspective. And Paul says they have their minds set on earthly things, but we're called to have an eternal perspective, the perspective of heaven. If we're living with that mindset of eternity, this is something I've got confused about in the past, but it doesn't actually mean you're meant to care less about this life. This short life, if it's just like a prequel to all of eternity, doesn't mean it doesn't matter and this isn't important. Actually, what it means is that every choice, everything you do and the decisions you make here carry eternal significance. They matter eternally. It's incredible. When God gives us that perspective, it should transform our here and now. And for me, that's something I massively struggle with. I'm very here and now. But God loves to change our perspective, right? He loves to bring revelation. I have a friend, an amazing friend, who is going at the moment through chemotherapy. And what I've seen in her walk has really inspired me deeply on this. So she's going through something that should be a really dark valley. And she is real and honest about how tough it is and all of the challenges that it's bringing. But when we spoke the other day, what she said was that even as she feels this weakness in her body, she can feel her spirit growing stronger and stronger in him as she learns to trust him and as she's choosing to press in and believe his promises and spend time in his presence. She's literally feeling herself growing stronger and stronger in her spirit, which is incredible enough. But here's the thing. As citizens of heaven, we are meant to be these unique, beautiful individuals, but we're meant to be knit together, aren't we? We're one body, members together of the one household of God. And the reason we have to understand that is because everything we do impacts each other. 
So all of these eternal choices I'm making in my day-to-day impact all the other members of the body. So when I or you choose in the secret place to worship or to pray or to intercede or speak up for justice or to give generously, it doesn't matter if everyone else sees it, but spiritually and in eternity, that affects all the other members of the body. We're like an intricately woven tapestry and it all matters. Nothing is wasted. And actually, although her friends are praying for her and supporting her, I think all of us have been impacted at least as much by her response and her encountering joy and God's kindness and peace in the midst of this thing. It's amazing. So if, we're, if we've got this like eternal significance and this new perspective to take on, it's surely got to affect not just our inner life, but our actions into the world. This is one of those breathing moments again. So if we're going to fully contrast with this culture of appetites and boasting and really have heaven's culture here, we're going to have to also surrender to God's perspective on our resources. In Matthew 6, we read that Jesus said, Don't store up treasures on earth for yourself, where they fade or spoil, get stolen, but store up treasures in heaven, because where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. You can't serve both God and money. Now, going back to our friend Basil the Great, he went on to say, The bread you are holding back is for the hungry, the shoes you keep put away are for the naked. Sorry, the clothes you keep put away are for the naked. The shoes that are rotting away with disuse are for those who have none. And the silver you keep buried in the earth is for the needy. Listen, we should be happy and thankful for provision. It's okay. He loves you. He provides for you. Jesus ate and drank and went to parties. And actually, the verses about where your treasure is are immediately followed by verses about how God loves us. And as much as he feeds the birds of the air and clothes the lilies of the field beautifully, how much more will he provide for his children who he loves? But I just think there's a real difference between thankful enjoyment of provision with an open-handed, generous sense of, okay, God, where will this be used? To like a hoarding, entitled, self-indulgent approach, fearful even to our finances. Wouldn't it make such a difference if we could just get hold of this idea that every penny we have is provision from God and that he's got trust in us to distribute it here as reflects his culture of heaven. Yes, enjoy, be thankful, be open-handed, look to the needy. I know that for me, it's often time and money as well. It's not just, I'm sorry, time and energy as well. It's not just money, you know, there's these resources that we have and we'll each find different things harder to give up. But I want to get to this place where I can come with my free pass into the throne room and be like, thank you, God, I'm trusting you to provide. Now, how do you want me to use it? Wouldn't that be different to our culture? All of this is yours. Where do I put it? All of these mindsets, this perspective, is so different to what we're living in, to the culture that surrounds us. And yet, there are inheritance as citizens of heaven. We're not meant to come under condemnation, 
meant to take hold of the promise and think, oh gosh, I get to be part of this eternal story. Okay, God, how's that going to work? Let's trust him that he loves us. And most importantly, you know, Paul tells believers to emulate him, but it's not just him. He's saying that, and elsewhere he says, as I emulate Christ. That's the point. We're coming to be more like Jesus, to empty ourselves of our status and, you know, earthly desires, and instead to run after the prize, the presence of God and all his goodness in our lives and in the world. So that's what we're coming to do. If we can allow his perspective to fill us, how can it not transform the way that we live?